You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. To Thunder Quack Perfect Ten. I am your host, of course, Michael Cohen. And uh, oh boy, you guys, uh, you're in for a treat. This is a great episode. Um, I we're 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 a little off the beaten path. I'll talk about that a little bit more in the in the episode proper. But I we're we're talking about something uh, not quite as current, not quite as pop culture, not in our usual, you know. Star Wars, DC, Marvel, I, I adjacent sort of world. I mean, we've we've had some some pretty I uh, I uh, interesting picks thus far with I uh, with Perfect Ten, and I uh, I you know um, I also sort of think back to the stuff that we've done on Thunder Quack podcast that we've talked about like the Matrix movies, and uh, and obviously all of the 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 Star Wars and. Uh, DC and Marvel stuff that we covered over the years on that, um, which is my usual sort of, uh, I, like that's kind of the lane that I stay in. That's, that's the zone. Right. Um, uh, but the great thing about perfect 10 is that I get the opportunity to talk to really cool, really interesting, really smart people and I uh, just invite them onto the show to share something that they love and uh, and and if we're if we're doing our jobs right around here then that love will translate over and uh, and and give you guys as well as me something new to love every once in a while and that's the that's the instance here um we're gonna talk about the movie roman holiday uh which is a, a an older film black and white so we're really really outside the comfort zone this time around and i am so so grateful to our guest uh missy um for for coming on and 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 talking about this movie um and uh, and basically like getting me to to watch something that i've never watched and and to like i said step outside that comfort zone because it's really easy to talk about those 80s and 90s things even the early 2000s things that we've sort of been uh sort of been centered around um and and the stuff that comes to mind the stuff that's so easy to think of when we think of what a perfect 10 would be um but this one this 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 one definitely gets us to stretch our legs a little bit and it's a great conversation. Missy is such uh, an amazing person. She is so smart. She is so knowledgeable um, about this fairy tale stuff and uh, it, it was just such a pleasure, such a pleasure to have this conversation with her ab- about something again that she loves like just just that 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 joy uh, comes across right from the get-go. And so, 
uh yeah i mean i guess i guess there's not really much else to talk about uh sort of in the in the rigmarole and uh, uh and all that housekeeping or whatnot um you know we've got we've got some other guests lined up and uh, uh i'm actually not really sure what who's going to be next on the schedule this week this month was actually originally going to be kyle and we we're going to talk about rings of power but um but but then i uh, i messaged missy and and as as has happened several times with the podcast so far the timing just just worked out really well uh we both had availability on on this past sunday morning and uh whereas during the week i was a little bit swamped so uh so kyle and i had to postpone Anyway, so it, it worked out perfectly, um, and uh, uh, it was a great opportunity. So I'm just um, kind of meant to be. It feels a little bit, a little bit kismet in that way. But I, I, yeah. So I know, like Kyle and I are going to do Rings of Power soon. Um, I know that Marie Claire uh, from What the Force wants to do uh, Stardust. So that's that's another one that that's on on the list. And uh, and there's a few other people who are sort of waiting in the wings as well that are that aren't quite. Uh, oh, huh. uh, I'll tease you guys right now. Joe is also coming back. Joe Hogan, who is one of my co-hosts on Rebel Cells and and hangs out with me uh, to do the live action Star Wars stuff. We did Book of Boba Fett together. And we're gonna do Mando together, and uh, and we're gonna do an episode in May. There's a pretty big video game release coming out in May um a new video game that uh both of us are very excited about and we're gonna go back and we're gonna talk about a classic from that franchise i i and uh so that one that one's like that one is scheduled that one's scheduled to the day we already know when we're recording so um so look forward to that that i'm very much looking forward to that episode so i'm gonna keep teasing it i'm not gonna tell you guys exactly what we're talking about I'm gonna let yeah. I'm gonna just gonna drop some clues in this episode and maybe the next two because we've got we'll have March and April between now and then uh, to uh, to to tease out some stuff. I'll also just mention I mentioned it in the episode at the end, but I'm gonna mention it up front here as well. Uh, Tim Dipple is crushing it with the Thunder Quack Perfect Ten uh, pop quiz. He just. It's amazing. He nails it every single episode. Um, his trivia questions uh, are the perfect complement to the conversations that we're having. And the thing is, is that he and I do not coordinate. We, I don't tell him anything about what we talk about. I just give him the topic. Uh, and he goes and does his research, um, and, and has just put together such perfect episodes. Almost every question that has been asked in a Thunderquack Perfect 10 pop quiz has been covered in the episode about that topic. And that is, that has just been, again, uh, uh, kismet serendipity, you know, I just... Uh, it's just it's working it's just working and uh and and that is tim that's all tim i so just so you guys know he writes records produces the whole thing all on his own he just sends me an mp3 and i put it up on patreon and i am so grateful for that he is he is uh such an awesome awesome collaborator to work with and so i just wanted to give him a big shout out before we get into it uh for this episode um because because he, this one's going to be a challenge for him. <laughs> we definitely are setting setting a new bar 
um, for that for that perfect 10 pop quiz. So that's something that you can get over on Patreon. Right now it is at the $10 level. I am considering bringing it down to the $5 level. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of thinking about everything just being at $5 across the board. That's a thought that I've just had of uh, just like simplifying Patreon to where now if you're already a subscriber and you're already at that $1 level, then um, I you'll you'll continue to get the same benefits that you've gotten. Like I'll, I'll grandfather everybody at those levels and make sure that you're still getting the early episodes and whatnot. Um, for sure. But, uh, but new subscribers going forward, I think I'm going to just bring everything. So you're going to get the episode early. You get, uh, um, off the record and you get the pop quiz all at the $5 level. Um, and it'll just, it'll just be the one thing. Um, and then, and then, uh, uh, Patreon producers, at, at $20 a month. Um, which right now we just have the one Patreon producer. We've just got Brian Murawski, our awesome Patreon producer. So, uh, uh, who has been a Patreon producer for such a long time. Uh, it's amazing. Um, but, I yeah, I, I think I might just kind of have those two tiers, um, just to simplify things and make sure that as many people as possible are getting access to, the pop quiz and off the record, uh, as, as, as we can manage. Cause, cause I think that both of those things are great. So, um, that's, that is going to be it. I, I, and I'm gonna, I'm going to let you guys get into the episode, uh, with Missy. I, if you want to check out more of Missy's awesome thoughts on, on, uh, uh, genre stuff, I, I cannot, suggest she she'll give like her sort of her her uh, uh credentials and everything and where you can find her in the episode but i'm just gonna shout out uh, as i always do what the force um any episode that missy is on is an episode worth digging into because her and marie claire have just such a good rapport such a good back and forth um and uh, i i think they i think <clears throat> they really bring out the best in each other. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why the, the recent finding, oh, sorry, following Willow um, episodes have been so, so special um, along with the fact that that show has just been a, a, a treat, a treasure, just the, the best show ever. So I, yeah. Um, yeah. Go check out Missy on what the force go check her out uh, on, on social media. She gives, again, she gives all of her links and stuff in the episode itself. Um, and here it is, uh, Missy and I talking about the movie Roman holiday. Uh, enjoy. Okay, let's get into this one. This is a this is a departure. This is exciting for me because this is not our usual fare. Um, but that's the whole point of Perfect Ten is that there's no such thing. There's no such thing as our usual fare. I I'm really really excited to have with me on this episode, uh, Missy, uh, designer, lifelong Star Wars fan, and fairy tale nerd. You might know her 
from What the Force because I am constantly recommending that everybody go listen to What the Force. In particular, the most recent batch of episodes, the following Willow uh, series of episodes for that because you guys all know how obsessed I am with that show. Uh, Missy, it is so awesome to have you here. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for the invitation. I was surprised and excited and uh, glad that I think I was able to bring you a bit of a surprise as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I we're talking about a movie on this episode. Uh, that movie is Roman Holiday. And I, yeah, like I said, this is not our usual fare. We usually are in that pop culture zone, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But I uh, and, you know, like we've done some off the beaten path stuff like we did Laura Olympus, which I think is a little bit more of a, of a niche thing. It's a little bit more underground at the moment. It won't be for long. I promise that to everybody. Eventually, Laura Olympus will have a TV series and like it'll be everybody will know what it is because it's so good. But I like, go back to li- listen to that episode with me and Marie Claire. But I I. But this is we're digging back into the past with this one. So mm-hmm. let's. Let's get let's get like right into the meat of this. Tell us what is Roman Holiday? All right. Roman Holiday is a 1953 black and white film directed by William Wyler. And please remember his name. We will come back to Willie Wyler quite a bit. And it stars Audrey Hepburn in her first big role. She prior to this, she had had a very small role in um European film, and she was a well-known dancer, but uh, this was really her first big role. She actually won an Academy Award for this role, and alongside her, Gregory Peck, who, of course, is also a big star. Um, And yeah, so it's, and it's considered one of the first modern romantic comedies. Uh, It's, most people would probably, if you haven't seen it, which, to be honest, I'm assuming most people haven't. Um, I hope you do after you listen to this, but what you would probably recognize from it is the scene of the two of them riding a little um, a scooter, a, a moped together. Uh, yeah. And that's sort of the famous scene from the movie. Yeah. And what a scene. Oh my God. Uh, oh, it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, man, this movie was, uh, w- when I came to you, this is so funny. Cause I always have the story of like, when I go to somebody and say, Hey, do you want to come be on perfect 10? And then they go, yeah, and like thankfully at this point now, I because I'm most mostly going to sort of the same group of people or whatever, and and mm-hmm. it's like they, there's a little bit of familiarity with it now. Yeah. Um, but I so I didn't have to like explain it to you too much, but it was like okay, so you know, like just a just something that you think is a perfect ten, and and I and usually people come back with something, and I'm immediately like, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent, let's do it. And you came back with a few things that were a little bit more, uh, uh, let's call them esoteric uh, choices <laughs> for for what for what sort of conceptually perfect ten is, but also also like like you knew the assignment and you nailed it. Like that's the <laughs> thing about this movie is that it's not what I would consider modern pop culture, but this absolutely fits the bill of what a perfect 10 movie is, is meant to be. Um, Mm -hmm. There's not, there is not a frame out of place in this film. Like, Oh my God, the artistry and like the exact nature of it. Cause you had to, because of the fact that you are 
shooting on real film because it's mm-hmm. 1953 with yep. gigantic, difficult to use equipment. Um, again, because it's 1953, and you are on location in Rome at that time in in the in a contemporary period in, in yeah. modern day, which was a huge with... fight with the studio at the time. They wanted him yeah. to shoot on sets, and he was yeah. like, "No, I'm doing this on location." And I, I think there's some definite reasons why he did that too. But yeah, I, sure. he was insistent that he was going to do it on location. And so yeah, so, yeah. so the like the the precision in the way that this film is executed is mm-hmm. just like it's it's actually a little bit like as somebody with a film degree it is like yeah. staggering to watch it's one of those things i'm i was watching it and like about 15 20 minutes in i had this moment of like how how was this not part, part of your education of my education yep. because like this is the thing so this and i gripe about film school all the time i spent thirty thousand dollars and learned how to watch art films right which is not what I wanted to do. <laughs> it's what everybody else wanted to do. They all wanted to go and make movies about people who did cocaine and held each other at gunpoint. And there was like a weird song playing in the background, <laughs> right? Um, because they all thought that they were going to be the next, like David Lynch or whatever, yeah, yeah, right, or mm-hmm. like Kevin Smith at best. Every um, movie is being John Malkovich. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like, I love those types of movies. I love sure. that world, but. I wanted to make Star Wars. I wanted to make mm-hmm. Indiana Jones. I wanted to make Jurassic Park, right? Like those are the movies that I wanted to make when I went into film school. That's the sort of stuff that I was actually at the time, because it's 2003 when I start film school, I was really obsessed with the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. <laughs> Mission Impossible 2 specifically. Mm, on a real Tom Cruise oh my God, wait. No, that's actually my favorite of the Mission Impossible Is it? Movies. That's I hilarious. I love to. It's Be- so good. Because it's the one that gets the most flack, right? But like it's definitely stylish. Over substance. I love it. Mm-hmm. But but this is the type of movie that like if I was going to talk about something that is foundational to one of the main pillars of cinema today, which is the rom-com, right? Like mm-hmm. like when we talk about movies, we talk about a few things. There are action movies, there mm-hmm. are genre sci-fi fantasy films, right? There are rom-coms, there yep. are dramas like and and that that's kind of like that when we look at like the academy awards and that sort of thing that's kind of how we how we uh categorize things that's how we break things up right um and for some reason we throw musicals in with comedies uh and romantic comedies like we lumped all three of those things together even though they're three wildly different things yep this movie is like the bedrock foundation of what most people would consider a romantic comedy today it has yeah. all of the hallmarks it's got mm-hmm. the the um i like the 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 hidden identity <laughs> component it has the 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 secrets and lies right mm-hmm. it has yeah. it has the, the meat cute it has yeah. the the sexual tension like the buildup mm-hmm. is just and like the one thing that it doesn't have in in the in the modern sense is the happy ending right because in yes today this movie would have ended with the two of them running off together well and arguably there's a version where it did so the the movie which is best known to have been inspired by this one is notting hill okay and when you think about it it's the same story right she's an Mm. actress which is like the modern day princess yeah. So she's the Audrey Hepburn character, uh, uh, Julia Roberts. And then, you know, Hugh Grant would be Gregory Peck, who's just sort of the everyman, you know, and everything. And uh, uh, it's, it 
becomes this thing about like, well, do they just come from two totally different worlds and they can't be together? And to your point, Roman Holiday ends kind of bittersweet. They can't be together. They're separated. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Notting Hill, they sort of have this big moment where like he realizes he was wrong and he runs after her and then catches up and then tells her and she you're led to believe that she basically quits being an actress and then they are, you know, happily ever after. And so, mm. yeah. So to your point, the modern would have a happily ever after and this yeah. doesn't. And um, I, I think it's really interesting to talk about why that is like, why this movie, why, you know, why did William Wyler choose that for this ending? Um, yeah. I think it's a really interesting conversation. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'll just note. So this is the first Audrey Hepburn film that I've ever watched from really start to finish yeah oh my god i mean like obviously there's issues because like um this this one i think holds up really well in terms of like yeah it's got dated stuff but overall it's you yeah. know there's nothing in it it's like horrifically offensive as opposed to like when you when you watch breakfast at tiffany's and it has yeah famous horribly racist infamously. content right yeah, exactly so yeah. things like that where it's like i i think this definitely is one of the better ones to watch but it is excellent yeah. and you can totally see why she became a star and, oh. and yeah and that she won the academy award for this role although i have some opinions about that too where I, looking at this and then looking across kind of romantic comedies in general um yeah. and romances in general the women in their roles they tend to get nominations and praise and the men tend to get ignored even when they give um similarly excellent performances i think a great example is silver linings playbook i still i mean like great for jennifer lawrence and all but i still don't understand why bradley cooper got no attention for that role because he was fantastic so but i see that happen a lot and so this is another example where like gregory peck gets no attention even though he gave a fantastic performance in this film um but yeah, yeah but she's the star for sure yeah no i i think i think the biggest standout to me of this film is is the cast and like like top to bottom like everybody that that is in this is so so well cast um so perfect i but but i will say like like you talk about like it being a little bit problematic the only piece that gave me a little bit of cringe is right towards the end and all of the journalists are introducing themselves yeah and the um the journalist from tel aviv is a very very um cartoonishly i i i jewish looking man yeah um and probably actually jewish but still it was very like you know let's make a point out of this which was which was a very common thing back then so it's yeah, one of those things where i, I was like I wonder there's about the that, jewish though. guy but i do but, wonder about that because william Wyler was jewish yeah and yeah. his entire family was killed in the holocaust okay so like i and, and that's that's another thing i want to talk about in like in terms of the context of this movie yeah is, yeah is and okay like i want i don't want to get into this right away unless unless you want to but so a really good pairing to watch with this film is a Steven Spielberg produced documentary on Netflix called Five Came Back, three-part series. Um, it's really excellent. I highly recommend it. And what it's about is there were five famous Hollywood directors uh, during World War II who partnered with the U.S. military to document the war. And it was mm. Frank Frank Capra, William Wyler, John Huston, John Ford, and George Stevens. And so this is all about their experiences in the war, for the most part, actually embedded um, with the troops and, you know, filming the war frequently in color. Um, and they they all made films and things. Um, the most sort of dramatic of those, I would argue, was George Stevens, who was actually present at the liberation of Dachau and 
his the footage that he took was actually used at the Nuremberg trials and all this stuff. So, so what's interesting is, you know, that's a fascinating story about their experience in the war and William Wyler himself being the only one of that group who was Jewish and therefore had that perspective on the war and then sort of what happened to their careers after how it affected them, what they did, what they made, because, you know, I I think this story is fascinating to consider given that it's less than a decade after the end of the war that he made this. So that all would have been extremely fresh in his mind. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is interesting. Okay. I mean like that's, and see, that's the thing is when we talk about movies in this time period, context is everything. Right. So um, I, and, and when we talk about stuff around like, you know, cultural sensitivities and stuff like that and how they were very different at the time. Um, mm-hmm. That context, that context is so huge because for me watching it without that context, I did like, I see this guy and I'm like, we're going down the line and it's like this guy from, from America, this guy from France, this guy mm-hmm. from Italy, this guy. And they're like, um, I thought, I thought I also noted that like the, the journalist from Amsterdam was the only woman. <laughs> In the lineup. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I was like, that makes sense, actually, like yeah. Amsterdam being very progressive uh, mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and so it was just this thing of like, of like, huh, that was a choice. Yeah, but, but I, maybe... wonder if, I wonder if it had not been a Jewish director, would he have included uh, an, a, 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 a Jewish at all? Yeah. 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 And, that, and exactly. That's that's exactly like the context. It flips it. Mm-hmm. It actually like turns it on its ear and, and you're like, actually, okay, no. Okay. We're good. Yeah. I, I, but no, that's fascinating. Cause that puts that put the, the, the story of him having been in Europe for world war two, documenting it and then being so adamant that, and I mean, the movie starts with this whole film was shot in Rome. Yeah, like well, it, he was in Rome in the liberation of Rome. Yeah, he was there. He he filmed it. So it says that in the documentary. It says on June fifth, nineteen forty four, Weiler filmed the liberation of Rome by Allied forces. So he was there. So he had a huge connection to this city, and yeah. the fact that he wanted to show it and make sure that audiences saw. It, because keep in mind, you know, people didn't travel anywhere near as frequently as they do today. So most people, yeah. to most people who would be seeing this in an American audience, or even in many cases, um, you know, British audiences, because it was a big hit in Britain too, which we'll get to in a second, but they, they would probably never go to Rome in their lives or had even yeah. really ever seen it other than maybe a few photos. And here he has them literally going through the streets, showing yeah. them everything. And, you know, all over major landmarks, all throughout. And so he clearly wanted to show this city off. And he wanted yeah. people to see it and think of it not just as it was during the war and, you know, under 20 years of fascism. He wanted yeah. them to see it, you know, as as it was now, kind of having this rebirth. And so it's a beautiful movie in that sense. It's it I think like the 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 um talking about him as a Jewish man, I think also it gives me interesting context of something that I thought was like noteworthy and missing not missing from the from the film because I don't think that it needed it at all. But we're in Rome and we spend no time talking about the Vatican. Like, yep. like there, there's, there is like the, the, the Monsignor comes at the one point and that is it. Like that is the closest thing yep. to anything referencing the Vatican, which I think a Catholic filmmaker at would the time have yeah. would have made a big deal about we're in Rome. We have to see some of 
yep. Vatican City, right? Mm-hmm. But but this film focuses. Obviously, he fell in love with the city because it focuses so much on like that street level, yes, like on the ground experience of being there to the extent of like the kids playing in the fountain yes. is just such a, like, it's such an, a, a, whatever. I don't, what does he have that fruit that he has that he, that he buys when oh, he's yeah, being un- undercover or whatever. Kind of melon, I think, it's which like, by yeah. the way made me think of Aladdin, that whole scene where like, yeah. she's going through the marketplace me and too. he's watching her. And then he ends up grabbing the melon to like cover for himself. I was like, it's like the Aladdin and Jasmine meet cute. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just like those little moments like that, seeing the Coliseum from the perspective of somebody visiting, right? Yeah, like, cause, and, and like you said, this would have been a lot of people's first exposure to, to a lot of these aspects of Rome. Previous to that, they may have only ever seen, if they even saw a picture of the Coliseum, mm-hmm. an actual photograph of the Coliseum in a textbook or a, a very boring, I, I, you know, objective shot of it in a newsreel at some mm-hmm. point. Right. Yep. Um, but here we are, we're at the eye level that you would be at if you were actually walking through the Coliseum and they've got their, the little guide that they've hired to yeah. to show her around and stuff like that. And it was yep. just like, like there it is. And it's, and, and the other part of it, it like it, the movie made me want to go to Rome. Yes, me too. <laughs> in 1953. <laughs> Right? It was before it was a very car heavy city. There were not, yeah. if you look, there's very few cars. And so it's mostly walking city. You know, you do get the people on the little scooters and bikes and they even have horse-drawn carriages in some instances, yeah. you know. So like it's it's a, a walking city. And so, yeah, to your point, it's like it makes me want to visit, but it makes me want to visit like, I don't know, yeah. however many years ago this is now. Yeah. And that's it, the best, the best movies from from periods like this from the from the the 30s 40s and 50s they always do that they always make you like idealize that time period mm-hmm. obviously i do not want to travel back to 1953 because there's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of human rights things that oh, yeah. that i would have a lot of problem with and i'd have a hard time swallowing uh, in mm-hmm. daily life um but I, I, you know, I mean, like Back to the Future only ever even uh, glosses over that very quickly of the mm-hmm. of uh, uh, Goldie Wilson, who will become mayor in 1985. But in oh, yeah. <laughs> 1955, is like, yeah, a, a colored president, a colored mayor. That that's a yeah. That I'll, I'll, you know, we'll mm-hmm. live to see that day, sort of thing, right? Like, yeah. Um, but uh but yeah like like that's the time period that we're in that's my like the 50s my frame of reference for the 50s is always going to be back to the future yeah, yeah. the first film um i guess i guess back to the future <laughs> too as well but yeah, yeah like that's a uh and that's a very again like even that one's a very like sanitized version of it but mm-hmm. but yeah but i do look at it and go like i would love to i would love to visit these locations but if you were to go now they would just be overrun with people and like the coliseum's got all of these like <laughs> additions to it let's call them mm-hmm. and they're they're there for safety and they're there to stop yeah. people from messing with what is a you know uh, a, a, a wonder of the world right but mm-hmm. a man-made wonder of the world but like the experience would not be the same yeah as as what we got to see in this film so it's like literally the closest that that we could get to 
traveling back to the 1950s and walking exactly. through the Colosseum in Rome and exactly. seeing it very much untouched, like very much just as it, as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like stuff like that is just so, so much fun. The, uh, the other thing about this movie that I just think is so remarkable is that it, it is a lot of the times you watch stuff from the, the thirties, forties and fifties and it, it'll, it feels very dated. Yep. This movie feels modern, even though it is from 1953. Like, yes. it, and that's because it like, it does literally have everything. And I think about the old trailers from back then where it would be like this, th- this movie's got it all. It, it has love. It has intrigue. It has romance. It has yep. action, but it literally does. It like, does. When we get to the to the 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 dance on the boat at the end, yes! and then the and the then the bad guys scene. show up. Oh my god, it's so good! And we, we get an awesome, awesome fight scene. It's so I, fun. that is so well choreographed, yes. and then also so comedic when yes. when she hits him with the guitar, and and uh, the photographer misses it. And Irving and Irving's like, oh man, he's like, hit her again. And she does it and he gets the shot. And you it's like this moment of elation because you're in the fight yes. with them. Um and and when when the barber like like joins in because like she's just like every great uh every great female protagonist, she just uh has charmed everybody that she's met yes. along the way. And they're all willing to go to jail. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> All it's three of so them. Fun and like the whole. Oh, and then the whole sequence where like it they get arrested for reckless driving, and yeah. so so then he like pretends like she's his bride and everything. It's yeah. like it is so funny. Like I just yeah. it, it does it really holds up, and that's what I find fascinating about it is that like it does feel modern, and that's why. You know, for me personally, I I like this movie because I can watch it anytime. It is one of my sort of like go-tos because I'm just like, it's fun. It's modern. It's a romantic comedy. I would pop it yeah. in with the same frequency that I would any other romantic comedy because yeah. it's a good time. Yeah, I mean, I, I so so pull back the curtain a little bit. I watched it literally this morning before we recorded. And uh, like I got up at 7.30. I got up at 7, <laughs> got ready, 7.30, watched this movie. So it was a very weird uh, uh, window to watch a, a romantic comedy from 1953 at 7:30 <laughs> in the morning on a Sunday, um, but uh, but that's uh, the, the, I I had to watch it before we talked about it. We <laughs> it were gonna watch it last night. Yeah, we were gonna watch it last night, Crystal and I. But but I one thing led to another last night, and we ended up not even getting home until 10 o'clock at night. Oof, and no. so it was just kind of like you know I I it, it just didn't work out. So yeah. I was like, I got to watch it this morning. But then Crystal slept in. I let her sleep in. Fair enough. <laughs> she didn't have homework that she'd left till the last minute like I did. So I, uh, it's uh, nothing changes. I'm exactly like I was in high school. I I mean, if it was me, I'd be doing the same thing. So I get it. <laughs> she, she wakes up and comes out of the bedroom after I've finished the movie. And uh, and she's like, so how was it? And I was like, you missed a great movie. Like nice. you missed an absolutely great movie. Of, like, well, hopefully she again. gets to watch it soon. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, because uh, I rented it, and I kind of mm-hmm. regret that I rented it. That I spent five dollars. Buy it now. Because <laughs> it's like, well, this is a movie that I would go back and watch. It's a movie that I think, um, when my girls get older, would be worthwhile. But yeah. uh, but that's fine. I'll I'll pay the five dollars again at some point to to <laughs> so, watch it again. Yeah. Um. 
but yeah, uh, or if I ever see it like a like a Blu-ray or something like that. Not that that ever happens these days, but well, they have a Blu-ray of it, but it's not on the Criterion Collection yet, which annoys the crap out of me. Apparently, Paramount is a pain about these things, so mm. I don't know. Hopefully, someday. But I mean, there's definitely yeah. versions out there that you can buy that are good. Um, so yeah, get some get some good special features or whatnot. Yeah, um, actually, I, I love the behind the the scenes features. Some of them are really excellent, and you learn all kinds of good stuff. Although, again, I want to repeat, you want to watch um, Five Came Back on netflix yeah. because that's that i mean they don't talk about the movie very much there's like two shots from it but you understand the filmmakers and that means a lot yeah for sure i mean like yeah it, especially because because of the fact that we are so out of time with uh with with you know the context of 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 a movie like this being made because nowadays to say that a movie is shot in rome it's like yeah sure whatever right like right yeah they shot the lizzie mcguire movie in rome who gives a darn yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's not that big of a deal but at the time for an american production to take everything over there not because they're gonna go film in italy because it's cheap to film in the middle of nowhere italy to make a western but because like hey we're gonna film in the middle of like the heart of this city and capture Mm -hmm. it such a big such a big deal um yeah, I, I I want to I want to talk about Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck a little bit as well because yes, I I I think I think most people are going to have familiarity with Gregory Peck because of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Like yep. that's that's sort of his marquee, you know, number one iconic role. Mm-hmm. Um, this character couldn't be further from that character, oh, yeah. <laughs> which I think oh, is totally so different. funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what I what I I like just perfect. Uh, template for your leading man. Oh, um, he's so good. Although he's so funny because when they interviewed him about this, he said, well, they, they offered it to Cary Grant first and he turned it down. And he said, and I noticed around this time in my career, he said, I was getting all of the scripts that Cary Grant turned yeah. down. So, That's you know, funny. he's aware that he was kind of um, like the second choice, but I, he did wonderful. He kind of like, in terms of his visual I, I, he, he reminds me a bit of Jude Law. Like they kind of have the yeah. same stature. They have that same jawline. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah. very similar look. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like his performance in this, he actually almost, it's almost a Harrison Ford. It's not quite yes. as gruff as Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit softer on the edges, but sort of the, the, that instant charisma, like the fact that you just like, it doesn't matter what this guy's going to do cuz cuz actually we're sort of introduced to him he's in a bit of a he's a bit of a scoundrel right like he he's is. Like, and which is perfect for your romantic yeah. comedy lead mm-hmm. um and with the wrong actor you end up with somebody that we're not going to we're not going to relate to and when he starts deceiving her for yeah. his own gain we're going to turn against him right right but but because Gregory Peck can also turn around and and play Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, he has that mm-hmm. in his range as well. That charm, that um, I I there's a there is a morality even in him doing something that is wrong, even in him mm-hmm. deceiving her and and using her for his own gain. There's still you still get the sense that this is a good man, like he is a yeah. good guy. He's just a good guy in a with a great opportunity in front of him, right? Yeah. Like, like we don't doubt his journalistic integrity for a second. Right, uh, right. So it's like, he's got it. He, so you're right there with him. You are in his position and going like, 
no, this is a once in a lifetime story. He's got to do this. And I'm, and I, and I support his decisions because well, it's ultimately going to lead her on the adventure that she wants to be exactly. on. Exactly. Right? So it's, it's, it ends up being what she needs, even yeah. though he, he has the wrong uh, motivations for it originally. But I also love that they, they do get you to, to empathize with him, even though, you know, he's being unscrupulous at the beginning because of the fact that they make it very clear that he is broke and they, yeah. I love the way that they they tell you from the beginning how much money he has so that every time somebody asks him for more money, you know how much less he has and you know how close he's getting to having yeah. none at all. And so I love that, that you could actually track the closer he gets to being completely <laughs> broke until the yeah. end where he's literally in debt. <laughs> <laughs> so I did I did a Google after I finished the after I finished the movie I uh, of how much 50 bucks because that's what he asks Irving for. Yes. He's like, hey, front me 50 bucks. And Irving's like, are you kidding me? Like yeah. you're paying that back on top of my cut. Yep. And I was like, I was like 50 bucks. And I was like, well, hold up a second. Let's how do this math. And yeah. so I Googled it. Fifty dollars is five hundred and fifty five dollars in today's money. Yep. That's how much money he asked him for so that he could take her out on the town and whatever. So let's take that and extrapolate five grand. Yeah. No wonder he was willing to cut Irving in for 25%. Because I was like, you're going to give this guy and Irving. So that's 1500 bucks. It's 1250 Slow down. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love <laughs> it's it. so good. That's great. Oh, Such a good moment. So that's much. the, that, those moments, the moments between, between Gregory Peck and Eddie Albert. Yes. Those are the moments that, that where I get the Harrison Ford part uh-huh. of Gregory Absolutely. Peck, where he's like, he's like, listen, like the, there's very, there's a very Han Solo thing of like. Yes. Listen, Jabba, <laughs> like I that know, sort of a I thing. I totally agree. And you get that all through because, again, it's like he's there with the princess and he's only in it for the money, sister. Type <laughs> Like that, it's all there. It's absolutely. Yeah. I also think there's a lot of like the um, Dimitri and Anya from Anastasia thing going on, you know, mm. because he's a con man using the princess yeah. to get the money. Like it's literally the same thing. Yeah. So I, it, it, I mean, it's a very well known trope, but it, it works so well here. And it, to your point, it's because yeah. they're so charming that they pull it off. But yeah, I do. I love his banter um, with Irving. It's a riot. It's so fun. And he himself is hilarious Irving's a great character <laughs> oh my god like what a uh, it, and it's funny because Eddie Albert is a person who would go on to then like have a really big career yeah. later in his life mm-hmm. and at the time like Eddie Albert is is an is a known quantity his name's on the poster yeah but but it's funny because like there's this period of his career where he's like a young sort of like best friend supporting actor type of guy yeah yeah um and then he goes into like in the in the 60s and 70s it's just a string of like one off appearances in whatever random tv show mm-hmm. and then and then later on in his career he uh, like as an older man he 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 found a little bit more success in like um in that sort of a role from playing yeah. in that archetype but he is so good in this film every single scene that he is in he absolutely just steals and that beard i love his like just his whole book you like you you know these guys instantly right from the moment that we see them in the card game you know these two guys yep and and there's like this rapport between them and we don't really have as much information as we're gonna have later like of of just how connected these two are Mm -hmm. um but uh but even like right from the get-go you're like where like you know because he takes all the money he wins all the money and and you're like well he's not mad at him 
Like he's yeah. like, I'm out, guys. Like I got, I got, I got enough money for coffee tomorrow. I gotta leave. <laughs> like, exactly. like, I'm not gonna make it to payday. And like in a different context, he definitely would have turned and like given a you know a stink eye to to Irving. Yeah, if that wasn't a character that was gonna come back, and that is actually like his friend. And yeah. then when we see Irving again, and he's taking the pictures of this model. That's right, and he's got women all over Rome. And it's 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 quite salacious because <laughs> in is. 1953 we can see her underwear. I know. <laughs> like, I know. He's, I was he's like literally on the ground. She's on a balcony, and he's yeah. shooting upward at her. So what is he getting in his shots? So he know? is he is definitely living in Europe. taking pictures for like ooh la la magazine right like that's like that's who's paying his bills and he's probably Mm -hmm. making a lot of money because he's pretty good at it but i i like you just get that and like just his wardrobe the beard he's like which was so unusual at the time everyone was clean shaven and he himself actually to your point in his other roles he was known for having a crew cut but apparently he got this role and he was like all right i'm growing out my hair i'm growing out my beard he was excited to do this because it was a, a departure from what he did and from what was common on film at the time yeah, it's funny because yeah, because he's quite he's very like bohemian beatnik. Yes, the much. the striped t shirt, right? Like it was yep. like I just his look, I was like that like this is iconic. Um yeah, he's so good. He's so so good. That was kind of my biggest thing. And that is usually like um in Romeo and Juliet, my favorite character is Mercutio, right? Yes! Like I like like yes! that's just that's just exactly. me to a T. Like I often oh like the 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 sidekick I, I buddy that supports is usually my favorite character. Okay, to, um, to go back to the Notting Hill comparison, his yeah. flatmate, the one who's like, you doffed prick, like that guy. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. like those are the best characters in these kinds of movies. Like, I mean, you love you love the main couple. Obviously, everything rides on them. Yeah. Their chemistry has to work. But then having these supporting characters who are so colorful and so fun, like it just makes the whole experience better and the whole journey a lot more fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh let's we've talked about the guys. Let's talk about yeah. Audrey Hepburn. I this is like everybody knows who Audrey Hepburn is, obviously. It's you know, she's one of the most iconic actresses in the history of Hollywood. All of that stuff. Like I said, I've never seen a movie with her before. I'm so not glad from start to finish. Her. I've I've seen I've seen most of Breakfast at Tiffany's because it's impossible to avoid. There's just clips everywhere and people, whatever, right? Like, that's her most iconic role. Um, Like, I'm in love. Like, that's, like, she's incredible. She's so (laughs) charming. You understand immediately how she's a star. Like, you just get it, you know? Um, At the end of, of, uh, and I I, I DM'd you when I got to this part in the movie of, like, she just had her own little hero's journey, didn't she? (laughs) Because she comes back, like obviously at the beginning of the movie, she's like she's this princess, and everybody's like telling her what to do, and her life is scheduled, and it sucks. Mm-hmm. She hates it, and that's yep. why this whole thing starts. She runs away, right? Such a classic. I mean, it's almost it, it isn't almost it is a you're the expert. It's a fairy tale trope, right? Oh, I mean, she's you don't like, understand why I picked this movie. I picked this movie <laughs> because it is. If you ever want to understand what a swan maiden story is watch this movie. It is the quintessential Swan Maiden. It has every single motif specifically. And so it's, and obviously it has very specific elements. It has uh, the, you know, Cinderella, especially 
the whole, uh, to your point about how charming she is, what's the initial scene that we get with her? It's the ball scene where she accidentally loses a shoe. And that whole yeah. scene is so funny <laughs> and so charming. But the sh- fact that it's a shoe is how you know they're referencing Cinderella. So yes, yeah. this is a fairy tale. Very, very clearly that's what they're doing here. It's deliberate. But unlike Cinderella, as we're classically told it over and over again, like we will go back to the Disney version at the end of this film, she goes back to the palace and everybody's all worried about her. And they're all like, how could you do this? And she just stands there in front of them and does what she could not do at the beginning of the movie, which is just like, no, I'm the princess here. You guys. Yep. I'm the one with authority. I'm Mm -hmm. royalty. You guys are servants. And it doesn't matter how high your station is, I'm higher. So, Mm -hmm. like, right up to the end when, like, she dismisses everybody, and I love the way that she does it, where she's like, I give you permission to withdraw. So good. So So much sass and so much, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi would be proud. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So much sass. I, I... And then the the her her countess is kind of like yeah everybody leave and then goes to close the doors and she's like oh you can leave too yes and there's yes. this look on her face of like oh I just lost the war <laughs> like it's uh, done exactly. I've done to the point um, where then when they when they all reappear at yeah. the press conference in the um the following scene then she doesn't even say anything to them she literally just literally moves her eyes and they know to back off and i just yeah. love that like she is completely in command of her world after she yeah. returns from this adventure so yes it's yeah. a hero's journey it's a heroine's journey it's a wild woman journey journey it's all those things at once but yes she she goes on this journey and returns and so while it is you know for the romance it's it's not a happily ever after for her character and for his character too, you know, mm-hmm. they clearly took something away from it that they will now take with them and give them a, a, you know, a richer, more whole life after this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, yeah. Cause, cause, cause I, I, Gregory Peck's character, Joe Bradley also, he finds, he finds his heart of gold yep. underneath uh, the scoundrel, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he makes the right call at the end, mm-hmm. despite a literal fortune like that. And that's why I looked up the money. Cause it's like, cause that, again, that context for the audience is going to be lost on us. Cause we're going to go five grand. That sounds like a good week's work. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But to him, five grand is like, Oh, because his whole thing, like it's, it's, it's not, we don't get into detail on it. And it's something that I love about it is that we don't spend much time in exposition in this film. Yeah. Even though it takes an hour for the movie to actually get started, which I thought was really funny, but that's yeah. that's the pacing of old movies. Yep. Um, the context here is that like he doesn't want to be in Rome anymore; he wants to go home, right? Like he's yes. but he's broke and he cannot afford to leave. I uh, and mm-hmm. five grand, even minus twelve fifty, like like three quarters of that would be enough for him to get back to New York and get set up and yeah. and uh, and get back to the life that he obviously wants to be living. Because yep. um, there's even the moment where she's like, "This this apartment is great," and it's like, "Oh, look at all these people! This view is so wonderful." And he's like, "Yeah, it has its moments." <laughs> yes. He's clear, like he's fallen out of love with Rome. Mm-hmm. And she helps him find that again of like, yeah, oh, wait, it through her eyes just makes yeah. him go, oh, right. This is a really incredible place. Like, for instance, I really, really love the 
scene where they're they're looking at the wall of all the tablets of wishes. I think it's mm-hmm. just called the wall of wishes or something like that, a wall of dreams. Anyway, but the point is he tells this story, which by the way, given what we know about William Wyler, I'm assuming that this is actually a story that he heard firsthand in Rome. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it, it references the war. It's the only time in the in the movie that they reference the war, where they yeah. say, Oh, this started during the war. You know, there was, um, you know, a, an air raid and these people huddled by the wall and they were safe, even though the bombs went off near them. And so then somebody nailed a, a tablet of their their dreams or their wishes to the wall. And every time it came true, someone else would come back and nail another tablet. And so they have all these wishes that came mm-hmm. true all along the wall. And so that kind of moment is just... I don't know. It, it. I just think it's it's just gorgeous. And these moments, to your point, it's a slower paced movie, but all of this adds up into this really wonderful story where you can see the journey the characters are going on. And yeah, Gregory yeah. Peck, like his character, Joe Bradley, he, he does sort of get this new lease on life, even though he's still broke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so. but it's, a, you kind of have this, this uh, realization towards the end of like, it's okay. Cause Irving's there too. So Irving's, like, he's going to take care of it. He's, really yeah. He's never going to be <laughs> destitute because if he needs money, Irving's going to give him his rent. Like it's like, <laughs> it'll be fine. He'll be fine. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a, uh, it, it is such a, it's such a complete movie. I just, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still even a couple hours later astounded at how perfectly complete and packaged from start to finish mm-hmm. this film is. Because a lot of the times we go back to older movies and you go like, okay, you know, like, like it, this, they were still new movies. Yeah. The, the, the motion picture was still, we were still yeah. figuring it out. And, and, on the 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 reverse end of that today sometimes you go to a movie and you're like this movie is just it's got it too figured out you know what i mean like it's yeah like it's it's too by the book it's Mm -hmm. too tight like this like this could have stood to be a little bit messier this movie is right right perfectly down the middle yeah it hits the right balance like it 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 is slower when it needs to be but there's also no wasted time like there's no scene in this movie where i'm like well you could cut that no you can't cut any of the scenes in this movie they all are there for a reason they're very important and so that is the really cool thing about it and it definitely works um but to your point about how how precise it is i mean that's what william wyler was known for his nickname in hollywood was 40 take willie because he shot so many takes and and then you go back and see the interviews with all of the actors that worked for him and they're all like oh yeah i'm pretty sure we did like 27 takes on that whatever you know and then of course the the 40 takes which he was known for and but the interesting thing about that was that so many of his lead actors receive academy awards for mm. their roles with him. Like he was known as like the actor's director and like a lot of actors would tell other like, oh, if you really want to level up your acting, you got to go work with Willie. And so, you know, they would all do that. And so, and you know, Audrey Hepburn as well, she says, you know, I mean, yes, he gave me my chance, but also she's like, he, it was like, you know, getting the best possible direction right out of the gate. He helped her, um, you know, really just, improve her performance and so that's how she became this big star uh so yeah it was just he he was so precise another thing i want to mention about him that's really interesting is during the war he was flying in b-17 and b-24 
25, I gotta get it right. I don't, yeah, B-25 bombers. And um, he actually lost his hearing. He became deaf because they're so loud. Mm. And um, by the time he had seen, or sorry, by the time he directed this film, he had regained maybe 20% of his hearing, but it really wasn't enough to hear his actors on set. And so um, he, he actually had a sound tech that helped him rig an audio amplifier so that he could hear better. But for the most part, you have to assume he wasn't really hearing what was going on that much. Yeah. Which is actually why you can tell watching this movie how much of the action is actually done in pantomime. There are a lot of scenes that have no dialogue or very little dialogue. Um, and and I think that's very evident. So, But what you get because of that is a bigger emphasis on the visuals. And so everything is so visually precise and it's a very easy story to follow without dialogue because of, you know, he's such a good visual storyteller. Mm. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a great video of um so, somebody took Indiana Jones and they they uh desaturated it to black and white. They didn't tweak it at all. They just desaturated it straight to black and white. Um and removed all of the dialogue and the only thing that's that's intact is is the black and white picture and John Williams score. Mm-hmm. And you can watch that whole movie without any dialogue and sound no sound effects, nothing, just the mm-hmm. music. And and the most basic version of the image, mm-hmm. and you can understand Raiders of the Lost Ark from exactly. start to finish. Exactly. You cannot, you don't miss a beat. And this movie, same. And there is the sequence in the middle, like like at the 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 after the 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 car chase <laughs> after the yep. the Vespa chase, um, where they're in the police station, and there is no dialogue, yes. and it's just the music plays over it, and you get the 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 wedding march plays, yes. and that's where we get it works the so well. And then at the, and then that scene ends and they come out and uh, and I love it when all of the citizens that are all pissed off because they you know he knocked over the cart and drove yeah. through the painting and all of this <laughs> like they they all come out and the one the big <laughs> the very stereotypical big Italian guy in a in a uh, an undershirt and suspenders yep. comes over and and gives her a big kiss and yep. and then kisses him. <laughs> and uh, because they're like congratulations yeah. on your wedding and it's just it, it it a lesser director couldn't have pulled that off exactly you know like it it definitely it definitely speaks to to the skill uh, yeah and it's so funny uh, that you mentioned directing. spielberg because he's the one pa- so what they did for this this documentary the five came back documentaries for each of these five directors that they're profiling they actually paired them with more famous modern directors so they had guillermo del toro obviously spielberg um coppola um paul greengrass and our favorite Lawrence kasdan <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and so oh, they, man. They paired you them just sold them. you just sold me on this documentary. You have more. to see it. It's so good. But Spielberg is specifically paired with Weiler. And so the whole way through this documentary, he's just talking about all the things he admires about Weiler and like breaking mm. down like his movies and this, the shots he does. So it's funny that you would make that comparison even like subconsciously because very obviously yeah. he was inspired by Weiler's films like this one. And so yeah. that's, it's just very cool. And so that's, you know, kind of getting back to that whole point of like, well, why this movie? Because, because it is foundational, whether people realize it or not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that like that to me, if 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 I were to ever if well if I were to go into teaching it would probably be design but mm-hmm. but if I were to teach film at some point and I needed to put movies on a curriculum this absolutely goes on my curriculum Heck yeah. like like 
like like alongside things like Casablanca and Star mm-hmm. Wars. Yep. Like like we do not have film today as it is. You don't have like like every Julia Roberts. I I uh, why am I blanking? I'm blanking on every other uh, rom com actress. Sandra Bullock. Uh, Sandra like, Bullock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like everybody who's made their career off of the the romantic comedy, they owe a huge debt of gratitude to this movie because Absolutely. like we I just I don't think that we would have the template as clear as it is. Um, I mean, I, that's always one of those things of like, well, somebody else would have done it eventually, but they yeah. didn't. This is the, like this is the movie mm-hmm. in the in the timeline that we exist in. This is the movie that sets the standard for this is what a romantic comedy is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, yeah, it is absolutely foundational. This is this is an important film, which I didn't going into this. I was like, it's an older movie. It'll probably have some stuff that'll, that'll be important. <laughs> and then and then like and that's my that's my film school background coming in of like, OK, like, let's sit down. Let's we got to let's watch this with a critical sure. lens. And then I'm like. I'm like 15 minutes into it and I'm like, this is insane. This is insane. I don't need a critical lens. This is just a great movie. This is why it's like to, to, to steal a line from, from Ebert is why we go to the movies. Like, like a movie like this is why we go to the theater and we sit down with a popcorn and a soda and somebody that we love and we watch a great film. And like, it goes back that, to like, what you said at the beginning about like why you went to film school. Like you didn't yeah. go because you wanted to be like, oh, let's see this, you know, auteur yeah. film or whatever. Like yeah. that wasn't why you were, you were interested in the things that had the broad appeal. And this does, and you see why. Yeah. And that's and it, it's important to talk about why things have broad appeal because it helps us understand ourselves, our culture. Like, enert- you know, a, a, a mass entertainment has value. And so mm-hmm. it's really great to see something like this, to enjoy it, and then, if you are so inclined, to understand why it has that level of appeal. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And and this, this is a great example of a movie that hits the sweet spot of it is mass appeal, it is on the surface, just a great, fun movie to watch. But then... All you it, it it does not even take a lot of excavation. It's like mm-hmm. right, you blow the dust off of it, and you can see the thematic stuff going on. It does a wonderful thing that I love it when movies do, do this, and it states its thesis when she talks about being Cinderella. I got to get mm-hmm. back by midnight, or I'll turn into a pumpkin. Yeah, like when the movie can turn to the audience and say, "Guys, this is what this was about the whole time." Yeah, and 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 we get that moment essentially right before uh the our, our her big moment at at the end of like you know uh, confronting everybody and, and mm-hmm. taking her power right yeah. um it's like it, it's a one-two punch of like this is this is why like she makes a joke now about being cinderella mm-hmm. because she's not anymore she yep. was when we started with the, when she lost her glass slipper yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. She was Cinderella, but now she's evolved and she's grown beyond that and she's mm-hmm. something else, right? Yes. Um so when the mo- when the movie can just like tell you without taking you out of it, mm-hmm. I think like that's that's one of those things. I mean, uh, we we I can't believe we've made it almost an hour in and we haven't gushed about Willow. Uh, oh, I do, I do. Well, Okay, but like that's what yeah. Willow has done so well is that it's like every once in a while it stops and turns to the camera and goes, "Hey, that this is what this story is about, you guys," and then gets right back into the story without yep. missing a beat, right? And exactly. that I I love it. Some people 
want the mystery box. They want the the um, M Night Shyamalan. What a twist! They want to be tricked by the filmmaker, mm-hmm. and I just I don't know. As I get older, the I want that less and less. I want yeah. to be a part of the conversation mm-hmm. with the filmmaker and with the story, and. If there is going to be a twist, I better know that twist five seconds before it happens. Yeah. Because if I'm surprised by it, then you didn't tell your story properly. I agree. Right. You withheld information in order to mess with me. Yeah. No. Which can also work if you're subversive like Ryan Johnson in Glass Onion. But that's a different (laughs) thing. Yeah. That's a great example of like you got to know the rules to break the rules with that yeah. one. But but yeah. I, but yeah. Well, it's fully it's appreciating I, what genre you're working in, I think. And that's and totally. that's what I like about this is to your point is that like why does that sort of straightforward like almost fourth wall breaking approach work for this film? Because it's a fairy tale. And what's interesting about that is that you get that not just in, you know, the the fact that there's a princess and they reference Cinderella and we have the shoe and the whole thing. It's not just that. It's also even the way that this is told there are a lot of scenes even though this is shot on location there are a lot of scenes in this movie that are played as though they are on stage they are absolutely mm-hmm. staged almost even like a sitcom where you feel like there's a <laughs> there's an audience where the camera is um and so like especially for instance think of all the scenes in his apartment do you ever see yeah. the wall from which the camera is pointing no yeah it's like a set, you know? And so so it's done that way throughout. And you're very conscious of the fact that there is a storyteller, you know? Like you're, you're just very aware of the presence of the person yeah. who could have arguably started the story saying, once upon a time. <laughs> and so it, that is why those kinds of very direct lines work really well. Another place that you see that in this movie that I really, really love is so when the doctor appears. So at the beginning, she, you know, she's so stressed out by this this uh, European tour that she's going on, and how they're ordering her to go around here and there, and they have everything scheduled down to the T. They control what she eats, they control what she wears, they control everything she does, and um, she, uh, you know, kind of gets just so upset. And obviously, you know, they call it hysterics, but whatever. It's 1953. What are you gonna do? <laughs> and so they call the doctor to come, basically sedate her. But what's interesting about that is even though we can say like, oh, this is so misogynistic. No, 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 no. What's really happening here, if you look at the structure of the fairy tales, this is a fairy godmother showing up to put her under a spell because yeah. he says to her, well, the best medicine I know is to just do exactly what you want for a while. And then that is what she says to Joe later when he's like, well, what do you want to do? She yeah. says, I just want to do exactly what I want for a whole day. And that's what it is that's the spell that she's under the spell that she needs in order to discover her power and so it's so it tells you the movie tells you that that's what it's about is this princess being placed under the spell like again cinderella it's the fairy godmother showing up to like i'm going to send you off to the ball except for instead of going to the ball she's going away from the palace to the real world yeah 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 (laughs) and they, they they um they kind of distract you from some of the more like like uh, it's 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 a really masterful way of doing it because you're in this moment you're like, wait, they're just gonna drug her to get her to go to yeah. sleep, <laughs> which even even in the context of the 1950s was still like, you know, yeah. the women in the audience would have been a little bit like, yeah, we don't oh, really yeah. like that. No. I I but they 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 soften it by having the general who is you know oh, supposed God, to be. Yes the 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 uh you know he's he's our he's our male archetype at this point in the movie he he faints at the sight of a needle yes so it's it's 
it's this subversive moment of like, yes, we're doing a misogynistic thing and we're actually aware of it. Mm-hmm. Like, even though it's the 1950s and this is common practice and, you know, you're in hysterics and we're going to talk down to you like you're a child, mm-hmm. which, which is also it's a part of the story. So obviously, you know, I, I uh, William yeah, the story was, says was that aware. this is not OK and she needs yeah. to break free of it and, and not allow them to treat her this way. anymore. Yeah. So, but to keep us in a light mood, they take the manliest guy in the room and they make him <laughs> faint at the sight of a needle. And they it. have they even have him like like confront the moments of like like afterwards they like, oh, my goodness. And they get him. He's like, he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's not a big deal. Nothing happened. Nothing, you guys didn't see anything. And yep. it goes into like a macho thing. And like we don't we don't focus on it. It's not like a, it's not like a, Oh, this is important to the story. It's no. literally just there for levity. Yep. Um, and to, and to start us on the path of like, she actually has more agency than she realizes. Mm-hmm. These people are cartoons. Yep. Right. Um, I, I, I messaged you right at the beginning of the, of watching the movie. It, the, the, um, that first scene when she's like meeting everybody, all the dignitaries or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it goes from that and then into the dancing. And then she's dancing with all, and it's, she's dancing with this, this little, very like yes. legal looking guy with all the stuff. And I was like, that's, I, I, uh, the Duke of Wesselton. That's a hundred percent the Duke of Wesselton from, uh, from frozen. And I, and I messaged you, I'm like, I'm like, did Frozen steal the coronation stuff? Like all of the coronation ball stuff from this movie? I'm convinced. I guarantee. I, like I, I think definitely. Yeah. If you were like, hey, what was the main inspiration for that scene of the like? And then we get the Arrested Development uh, uh, reference in that scene as well. So it's like we're mm-hmm. mixing classic with modern. But but yeah, 100%. The Duke of Wesselton and his ridiculousness yeah. is modeled after that that scene. I'm, I'm convinced. It is. There's, it's so great. There's yep. no way it's not. Yeah. Um, and it is and, and like this. Her story is so similar to, to Anna's story of like, I just want to like leave this castle. <laughs> can yeah. I just can we open the gates? Can we have a life? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And and that's it's so similar. So I guarantee that that's a, that it was an inspiration. For sure. Um, yeah. Awesome. I I man, I. I feel we covered so much ground. I mm-hmm. uh, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to get to on this one? I mean, I just think it's it's I I can't let this moment pass without kind of just going into some of those basics that I mentioned about how yeah. this is a quintessential swan maiden tale, and I Please. I can keep it brief, but I I just no like... don't go as listen. <laughs> it's we're 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 an hour into this episode. I, and if anybody's here now, mm-hmm. they're in it. They All are. Right, in, they're in it. They're in it for the whole thing. And I selfishly, I want you to just go off. I'm going to be as quiet as possible <laughs> and just let you educate us because this is uh, this is why I asked you to come on the podcast. Oh, good. Okay, I'm glad because because initially I was going to be like, why do you think I picked this? Because if the answer is because it's a fairy tale and I'm going to tell you how, you're correct. Um, <laughs> no, I I love it because you know a few years ago I got super super into just swan maiden stories in general, studying them. It actually did start with um, on the What the Forest episode about Dark Union because she was referencing Swan Lake quite a bit in in that. Uh, Marie Claire was and so I was like huh I want to learn more about this so then I went down that rabbit hole and so now it's kind of my my shtick it's my thing and so I started and once I started reading about it 
this movie was already one of my favorites. It's it's kind of on my list. Again, it's just one of my sort of comfort movies, if you will. I will pop it in anytime for any reason, just for funsies. And so I I was kind of just reading these and I was like, wait a minute, this is this is Roman Holiday. And then I went back and watched the movie. And I was like, oh no, this is beat for beat Roman Holiday. Hmm. And so what it is, is a, a swan maiden tale is the story of a enchanted bride who is abducted or captured by a mortal husband. And then the way that the abduction works is either he seals her clothing or animal skin, or he puts his on her. So you can see where we're going with this, but (laughs) (laughs) he puts his on her and that sort of functions as the capture. And now he has captured that, you know, feminine power. It belongs to him now. But eventually she breaks free and she she flees and she she returns to her world. Now, normally that is framed as some sort of judgment on the, the mortal husband. But the way that it's done in this story and in some others is it's actually speaking to it's her story. It's not his story. It's about what she needs. You know, she went to this mortal world and learned these lessons And then she came back now with additional power that she can now share with her world. And so that is what this story is. And so I really love it because there's a lot of quite specific references. And and as I've said before, if you've listened to um, my conversations with Marie Claire, and especially when we talked on Following Willow, you know, it doesn't have to be deliberate. Do I think that William Wyler or any of the other creators behind this were like, we're making a swan maiden story? No, I don't. I absolutely don't think they're doing that. These are just motifs that crop up when people tell these stories, whether they realize they're doing it or not. So what happens is, you know, he finds her sort of, you know, kind of a little out of it because she's been sedated in Rome and he's concerned for her safety. So he first tries to find a way to get her home. He tries to get her home in a taxi, but she's just too out of it to even tell him where to go or anything. And so eventually he's sort of left with no other option than to take her back to his place. So this is the abduction. <laughs> he's literally abducted <laughs> her. But I like that that whole scene is also played for laughs. Like, do you, did, what do you think of the scene where um, he's sort of trying to get her up the stairs, but she goes around the... Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's, 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 there's slapstick, right? And that's, that's one of the things, I think that's one of the things that, that's, that's going to like define this as a romantic comedy Mm -hmm. as opposed to just a romance, right? Is that we throw in a little bit of the Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin slapstick humor of Mm -hmm. like, yeah, she's, she doesn't go up the stairs. It's, again, so many moments in this movie where like, it got like very genuine, laughter out of me not like not ironic not oh silly people in the 1950s but like that's just a funny situation that's just a hit him again and then getting the picture is hilarious (laughs) yes that is that is a gag that works as well in 2023 as it did in 1953 like unbelievable exactly and and that's you know a lot of these things especially to your point the slapstick physical comedy like i also really am a huge fan of the marx brothers and it's because Mm. to me a lot of those gags hold up really well um, yeah. But anyway, to go back to uh, <laughs> the fairy tale, here. so he he sort of captures her, but then he comes in and he gives her um, his pajamas, and so there's two things happening there. One is that she mentioned, you know, not liking her 
nightgown at the beginning when she's, you know, being ordered yeah. around by all the servants and everything. And she mentioned that she would love to wear pajamas or do you know that there are some people that wear nothing at all and everything. So she's, just, <laughs> she's expressing her desire to be free to kind of throw off this, this, you know, the outer trappings of her imprisonment and, you know, and be free. And so she he yeah. gets there, he gives her the pajamas, which she was so excited for beforehand. And it's his clothes. So he's now claimed her. He's placed his clothes on her. That is the claiming of the bride. So good. Isn't it cool? It's so good because the, the, the nightgown with the little pink roses on yeah. it is so, like, it's so infantilizing, right? And it's really the symbol of the fact that, yeah, mm-hmm. she's being oppressed by these people. Like, she mm-hmm. is an adult, and yet they treat her like she's still a six-year-old girl, right? Yeah. Um, and so then we see like it's it's so clear through the movie of like she starts in that and then uh, she wears his pajamas and then later at the end when she's in his robe yeah and he has the line of like it suits you and she's like I like your clothes your clothes seem to right like yeah. they have that little back and forth always wear my clothes and oh yeah. I mean to your point about you want to talk about does this movie get sexy yes this movie gets oh yeah sexy. Oh yeah, like, without a sex scene, it's it's hotter than most movies is. with sex scenes. It, it uh, and then when we see her at the end at the press conference, the outfit that she's wearing at the end has like it has a very like feminine but mm-hmm. powerful appeal to it, as opposed mm-hmm. to what we saw her at the beginning, yep. which was like sort of your standard, like, oh, she's a princess. Yeah. And then at the end it's like, oh, she looks an awful lot more like a queen now. Yes. Right? And she but right. also like she looks more modern. Like she yeah. she looks more old fashioned in those earlier scenes. Yeah. You know, like to your point again, that the infantilizing you can tell she's being dressed by other people. But in that yeah. final scene at the press conference, she's wearing what an extremely modern woman of nineteen fifty three would be wearing. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it's a shorter skirt. She's got the little headpiece on everything. Um it, so everything about it makes her, yeah. and obviously she's got her haircut, which we'll get to in a minute, but all of that. So she very clearly has, you know, totally grasped her agency in that situation and determined, you know, who she's going to be, how she's going to dress, all the decisions that she's going to make. Um, so it's really fantastic. But yeah, so the whole, you know, uh, putting your clothing onto the swan maiden to capture her. Yeah. And she, so now she is at that point in time, mythically, his bride. And then she sleeps in his bed and wait, what was the thing? Hang on. I feel like there's something I'm missing, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's so, Oh, I know what it is when he realizes who she is and he doesn't want to wake her up because he's trying to charm her. He moves yeah. her from like the chase lounge where he made her sleep to yeah. back to the bed. Puts her back into the bed. But he lifts her up yeah. in a bridal carry. So those of you who yep. are looking for bridal carries in the audience, we've got to watch this movie. I, <laughs> I had a moment when he picks her up and, and he's got her in the bridal carry. And I was like, and like, I recognized it. Yep. <laughs> and I recognized the significance of it. And then I recognized why I recognized the significance of it. And I had a moment of like, thank you, Marie Claire and Missy. <laughs> I am learning. I am learning things from you guys on those podcasts. Um, <laughs> Leo yeah, pointing it was like, right there. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, so, so it's just really fun. Cause they just beat you over the head with all of the, the symbolism <laughs> there. Um, and so then, you know, they go out and they, they explore the town. We already mentioned how it feels very similar in a lot of ways to the um, uh, to Jasmine exploring after she flees the palace. Yeah. Very similar circumstances. And uh, they go throughout their day. 
And you'll notice they actually descend, like they're on the steps, for instance, and they start to descend the steps. They're not going up, they're going down. And then later, eventually, when they get to the river, they're descending down to the river. They're going deeper and deeper and deeper. And then after they jump into the water, so here's our rebirth symbolism, right? We, <laughs> we jump into the water, we come out of the water, and that's when the kiss happens. And that's yeah. when both of them suddenly realize, oh, wait, <laughs> there's more happening here. Oh, no. And so they go back to his um, place and we have that whole sequence of you should always wear my clothes. And in, in today's, if, if this movie was made today, that's when they would get it on. And I'm yeah. not necessarily opposed to a remake that has that happen. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's exactly what I was thinking as I was watching it. I was like, this is, this is where that scene takes place. Yep. But because it's 1953 and they are not married, that is impossible, right? Exactly. Like, in, at mm-hmm. this point in time, we cannot put that in a film. This mm-hmm. movie would be removed and everybody associated would be blacklisted. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So they can't do And And that said, it's actually also interesting to watch because the kisses are quite long for the time period. They had a, a time limit mm. for how long the kisses were allowed to be, according to the Hays Code <laughs> at this point in time. So they actually weren't allowed to have kisses longer than a certain amount of time. Um, and I don't, I don't remember what the exact limit was, but these are quite long kisses. For, given that and so um so they really did everything they could to make this a you know very romantic very sensual within the limitations of the of the time period yeah. um so it's really cool but and, and just other things too as far as the whole you know bridal motif like we already talked about the scene where he pretends like she's his bride in order to get them out of trouble with the police and everything and yeah. you know so like they just keep telling you over and over again oh it's so they're married and so then Finally, we get back to the scene and they're talking in his in his room. And there's sort of this unspoken realization that, first of all, they both know who she is. I don't think there's any question that that she knows he knows. And, you know, they don't talk about it, but it's very yeah. obvious that, that they both realize who she is. And um, and so they're talking about about just kind of lightly. She says, Oh, I, I, you know, I have all these, these domestic skills. And this is where, again, you have to look at the context because if you look at it on the surface from a, like, uh, from a 2023 perspective, you're like, this is so misogynist. She's talking about doing woman's work. No, 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 no. She's talking about how she has the ability and the inclination to care for someone, to care for her person, but she has no one to care for because that is not her role as the princess as the monarch Mm -hmm. and so she but she tells him that you know oh i i can cook and i can sew i can do all these things i just don't have anyone to do that for and he says well i guess i'll have to get a place with a kitchen then (laughs) and so they're saying that if things were different they would get married that's what they're saying and yeah so it, they just keep doing over and over again. And and the even the domestic skills thing, that's also a swan maiden thing. Anytime you have like a false a false bride and a true bride, a lot of times you can identify the true bride by the fact that she can do certain domestic skills. And again, is that patriarchal? Yes, it is, but it's a major, major motif. And if you if you're able to divorce it from its patriarchal context, you can see that it ultimately is simply about caring for your partner mm-hmm. and that's what it's about and you could arguably tell the same story reversing genders or using the same gender whatever um yeah so i th- it's yeah. a, i think it's also a, a moment of her like like this this is the beginning of her um embracing her own power right mm-hmm. because the context is that she is in a world where everybody does everything for her yep. and exactly. she's turning around to say to him like 
I would like to do everything for someone that I care about. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is her saying, like, I don't like, like, I'm tired of being doted over. I'm tired of being controlled. But, the, but in previously it was hysterics, right. As they, yep. as they framed it, it was a tantrum. Yep. And she was like, I'm dying and buries her face in the pillow and pretends to be dead, <laughs> which is a very childish way to deal with that. Yes. Right. And then here is, she's gone through this transformation, this rebirth, uh, come out of the water, kissed kissed a man for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, presumably, and now is saying, like, like actually, I want to. That power belongs to me, not to them, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, if you like, you say, like, if you can divorce it from the patriarchal dominator misogyny aspects of it, um, and just think of it purely from her lived perspective that's that's her turning around and saying like i'm i'm done i'm done being being told what to do but not from the perspective of a child from the perspective of an adult exactly right Mm -hmm. which is and and also it's so important because she does have a responsibility she does need to go back to her her life yeah and and own that because the things that she's actually being asked to do are very important things. If, if we talk about, especially in the year 2023, we look at the context of this and we look at she's on a tour in 1953 of Europe to spread the idea that the European Union is a good thing. Yes. Yes. I mean, they, they don't focus on it much, but that's yeah. what, is what she's actually doing. There. That Yeah. She's actually like on it. Like she's she is. What you you remember what Princess Leia says she's doing that she's on an ambassador mission? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sort of princess stuff that Princess Leia is pretending that she's doing is like, yes. oh, I'm going. And then Vader's like, you're not on any mercy mission. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. but that's what. That's what Princess Anne is doing. Mm-hmm. She's using her power and influence to try and sway the people into a. a beneficial situation for everybody right yes. like which is exactly what the european union was until i mean it's still it continues to be it's just that now the uk is no longer a part of it right um but uh like but like that's like like so i why i say like in 2023 this is like it's like oh my god like look at this like she had to do this work yeah. like this was a this was a job this was work mm-hmm. to go around and get people on board with this mm-hmm. and they were and yeah she was just saying it before she was wrote and then there's a part where she breaks at the end and she and she adds her own piece and they all like look at her of like yeah, and they, it's it's it becomes personal right well, she understands the actual value of her mission because i think it's it's that moment when they're you know again they're having that sort of very intimate conversation in his room and um you hear the uh the radio and it updates you yeah. on like oh every you know everyone all of her subjects are so concerned for her safety she is the sole heir to the throne she is meant to take over when her father passes away um and so they, without her there would be a you know a leadership crisis a a um oh what do you call it i'm forgetting what it's called whatever anyway um th- but there would be you know a significant crisis uh in in her homeland and so yeah. It's very serious for her people if she does not come back. Uh, it's very serious for Europe, especially, again, we're talking less than a decade after the end of World War II, uh, when, you know, like, they're still trying to get over some pretty recent wounds at that point and, and mend that. And so, yeah, it, the work she's doing is actually quite important in the context. And so you fully understand why 
it is not an option for her to run away. Mm-hmm. It just isn't, you know, and, and it's that line she has at the end about were I not completely aware of my duty, you know, I would not have returned today or indeed ever at all. Like she makes mm-hmm. it very clear. I wanted to run away, but I know I yeah. can't. So it, 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 you know, it's, it's cute, lighthearted movie, but it, it knows what it's about. And there's a reason why it has the ending that it does, which is the last part of it, by the way, that I wanted to get to, which is that, yeah. so he, he, you know, agrees to drive her back to, again, at this point, there's no, there's no secrets. Like he knows he's taking her to the embassy. She knows he's taking her to the embassy. So she goes back to the the embassy or the palace or whatever. And they're kind of sitting there in the car and they have this beautiful romantic moment, but she tells him, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to turn around that corner and you are not to watch me leave. Well, what's that? That's Orpheus and Eurydice. You cannot turn around and look. Hmm. You can't. And it's, and he does, of course, he watches her leave and he, and for a moment you even think he's going to chase after her because again, Gregory Peck is amazing. And he just does that whole scene so well. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. Watch his face next time you watch that scene. It's incredible. Oh my God. He's so good. Yeah. But so he, he does. He, and then again, later after the press conference, again, he walks away and then he turns back and looks again. He <laughs> can't help it. But that's how you know they use that signal of like, no, I'm sorry. This loss is permanent. This is, this is not going to be a happily ever after <laughs> because this is a lost bride yeah. story, unfortunately. But, you know, but it's so well done. It's, it's, when when you set it up carefully the way they do, when you when you plan it not because you're trying to um to your point, pull one over on on the audience or anything, but because you're telling a very specific story and it and it requires this ending, um, then it works very, very well. So I I, yeah. I find myself you know, it's bittersweet, yes, but I, I find myself overall uplifted anytime I finish this movie. Yeah, there's a <clears throat> there's a there's a quality uh to films before the sixties um, that, that we don't get very often anymore. And it's sincerity, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. I, I like, like just that sort of that earnestness mm-hmm. that that's in the storytelling. It doesn't come along very often. It's um, it's in star Wars. It's in the, it's in the first three movies. Uh, it's even in the prequels, but yep. people just don't understand what the prequels are actually about. So they, they, they fail to see it. Um, it's what's missing in the force awakens and rise of Skywalker. Mm. And I love force awakens. Like that's not a dig on force awakens, yeah. but like I, it, it is there in, um, in the last Jedi. But the problem with the last Jedi is that it's hard to detect because the last Jedi is subversive to the rest of star Wars. Yep. So like the earnestness that's there is an earnestness that subverts our expectations for what a star Wars movie is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're supposed to, we're supposed to have a level of trust with Ryan's storytelling that we did not have that I think is in direct response to the fact that the movie before it didn't have earnestness at its core. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. It was very much like, here are the tropes here are, here is like, this is a conceit, right? This is a very contrived story to get us back into the world of star Wars. Mm -hmm. And then Ryan comes along and goes, here's a very real story about two people uh, and uh, and yeah. and everybody got really mad at that because they wanted more of the contrived. Let's have references to the old Star Wars movies again, yeah. right? 
Yeah. Well, so like, but that earnestness is like, it's a thing that, that we lose, um, because movies have become so subjective and, and because we as a society have become really like cynical and jaded Mm -hmm. and they didn't, that wasn't the perspective in the 1950s. Yeah. Um, that's something that like came up in, in the sixties and, and really, really in the seventies. And it's what George Lucas was actually like fighting against when he made star yes. Wars Yes, and people didn't understand why he was making the movie the, the way that he made it because every other sci-fi movie was very, um, in on the joke yes. of like the bad special effects. And like, it's like, okay, we know that these giant ants don't look real, but mm-hmm. like, let's pretend that they are for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then George comes along and goes, no, Chewbacca is a real thing. Yeah. Chewbacca's a Wookiee. There's a real, he's a real person. <laughs> like it's, this isn't a joke. It's not yeah. silly. He's not, it's not planet of the apes. Like the, we're not playing this for gags. We're not going to have the monkeys covering their eyes, mouths and mouth mm-hmm. and ears, like in order to, to poke fun at ourselves. Yeah. Like, and the, we're going to lock off the camera. Like we're making a movie in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Well, it tells <laughs> Very, the story as like, if the events are real yeah. to the characters. Yeah. And that I think is what's critical about it is that like, yeah. yes, we, the audience know that this is not real, but those characters should behave yeah. as though everything that's happening to them is real. And that's Which is what, what it works. A, yeah. That's what allows you to tell a fairy tale without losing the audience. Exactly. Right? And that's what, that's what, Roman Holiday and Star Wars have in common. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll always find it. I'll always find the thread. Yep. Uh, but like, that is what it is. <laughs> that like Star Wars is a fairy tale. And so is this, but they don't present on the surface as fairy tales because they're treated as reality. Yeah. Because right? for the characters, it's real. This yeah. is their lives. And that, and, and we respond to that. We respond to that sincerity and it just, that that's why this movie works for me. I think it's why it works for most people. It's actually quite interesting to me that if you if you look deeper into the the, the critique that is available online of this film and, and reactions to it and everything, you do see a lot of people who who loved it but who dismiss it as like oh just a cute little fairy tale. Like people aren't really understanding yeah. why it hits us on that psychological level, and so yeah. that's why I enjoy diving into it in this way. Is as I want to say. No, this is this is hitting us on a very deep level that um, that is universal, and we're t- this is a very old story that's being told, um, and and that's why it resonates then and now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like fairy tales. It, it's it's funny because in 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 modern context, we we have Disney as right. as the the sort of paramount fairy tale mm-hmm. storytellers, right? And so we, and especially. Um, Disney Renaissance, right? Yes. Cause it in reality, if we're gonna talk about about classic Disney, the original fairy tale Disney films, they were not for children. They were yep. for people. I mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't until the 80s that Disney animation became for children. Mm-hmm. And like with like The Little Mermaid and and uh the adventurers and, and, yep. you know, like obviously this, the classic stuff that we grew up with mm-hmm. that our generation grew up with. And so we have this attitude of fairy tales are the domain of children's stories, but fairy tales, the reason why we tell them to children is because they are easily digestible and understandable 
in our core, like mm-hmm. in, in, in who we are as a society. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the easiest way to pass those lessons on no different than the Greek myths were the easiest way to pass on that knowledge and morality at that time. Right. Yep. Like, like it, like that's just how we do it. And it's taken on different forms. And nowadays our fairy tales take on the form of, you know, I, 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 a guy who encases himself in a metal suit in order to protect the people that he loves yep. or space wizards. Right. I like know. that's, but, but they're the same thing. They're yep. still fairy tales. And then we just give them these trappings. We call it science fiction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and we leave the fantasy bit off of the end of that for the most part, when what we're really talking about is morality and I, uh, I, you know, like, like what it means to be a person and, and, uh, and transformation, right. usually yeah, from yeah. childhood to adulthood, because that's what this story yeah. is. This is about, yeah. you know, the characters going from children to adults. This is the journey. Yeah, they take. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, when I say morality, I'm not it's not even so much about doing like what is right or wrong, which I think is where we usually end up with as morality, which mm-hmm. is the puritanical Christian right. I, mm-hmm. I, I, version of morality. But when I say morality, it's like being better. Being right. True to and that's what. Mm-hmm. that's what a hero's journey is about is mm-hmm. about becoming a better version of the person who left the village. Right. Yep. And that's why it's like, this is, I, I, this is Ty talking through me because I've <laughs> just heard her say it so many times. Like the thing that so many of these stories are missing and, and MC will say this all the time as well. Marie Claire, I should say, I uh, is like, we're missing the return. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we, and, and as a matter of fact, when it's included in stories nowadays, people often get mad at it. I used yeah. to, right? Like I got like the return of the king at the end of that movie. <laughs> the, yeah. It's got it has like 15 <laughs> endings to it. It's like, well, it has 15 endings to it because there are like 15 characters that we have to check in on because they all each of them went on hero's journeys and all of them found their own elixirs and they all brought them back to the places where they were meant to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it like, so it took that much time and here's the kicker guys. There are actually two missing because Legolas and Gimli don't get their returns Mm -hmm. at the end of that movie there. It's, it's cut out of the story. I actually saw a TikTok the other day that went into it that like there's a moment where I think I uh, I can't remember where they are in 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 Lord of the Rings but um Legolas and Gimli are with Aragorn and they get to some place and they're like it's it's like run down and mm-hmm. and Gimli has this moment of like the stonework here is falling apart when we're done I'm going to get the best stonemasons and the best dwarven artists. And we're going to come, we're going to fix this place up. Mm. And, and Legolas is like, yeah, and I'm going to go grab the people from the Southern wood and we're going to come back and this, we're going to return these trees to their glory. And this is going to be the most beautiful place that anybody's ever seen. And in the book, in the appendices, it's not in the actual book, but in the appendices, it happens. They do that. They both come back and they both, they bring that back because they're like at the end, when this war is done, when we're done fighting, mm-hmm. we like the, there is no point if we don't leave this world better yeah. than when we started. That's yeah. what we're fighting for. And then they go into the final battle and you like, you have something to fight for. Mm-hmm. And this movie, the, the, the return for her is just so 
palpable. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was like, that was the moment where I was like, this was a hero's journey, which every, every good story should be. Yeah. Right. Like not because you sat down and you took the circle and you put it over top of your <laughs> you story yeah. to make sure it's there. But if you are telling a good story, this would be what Joseph Campbell would say about it. It's like, it will, you will find it in there. Yeah. It's a, it's not, it's not a template. It's a byproduct. It it happens when you tell a good story. Yeah. Yeah. You, you end up with a hero's journey and that's exactly what, so what you're saying about like, like did, did Weiler actually like put the Swan Maiden story over top of this and go like, that's what no. we're doing. Did he put the hero's journey, which we didn't even have that language yeah. really yet. It was still being quantified yeah. at the time. Um, no, he didn't. He just knew how to tell a good story. Yeah. And he knew he knew what good stories there were and he pulled them into his narrative of what he actually wanted to do, which was take you to Rome yep. and make you fall in love with the city of Rome. Yeah. That's what like because that was that's what he was doing. And he was like, How do we do this? What's the package? Well, it's Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. This <laughs> right. Was, this was him returning to post-war Rome and going, yeah. I want this audience to see rome's beauty as i see it and that that's ultimately and i mean i'm projecting of course but i think that's what this was about i mean so weiler's most famous film is ben hur which (laughs) before titanic held the record for the most academy awards so this guy was one of the heavy hitters of all yeah Hollywood cinema. He, he, I believe he still holds the record for the most nominations for best director. Hmm. And so he was just an absolute powerhouse before and after the war, but he came out of the war and made films that they weren't, they didn't always have happy endings. Some of them, some of them definitely did not. Um, But he came out and he told stories that, clearly showed that they were his elixir that's what he brought back Mm. from his experience in the war was so one of the films he made is called um the best years of our lives it was one of the first films he made after the war and it featured three veterans returning home and trying to integrate back into society after the war which of course is a very personal story for him and um and it's it's painful, it's tragic, it's it, it it's beautiful, but it's sad. But this was an important story to tell, and something that was being very much ignored at the time because people just wanted to kind of forget about the war. And and then he told this story, which again kind of almost in a way revitalizes the the uh, public perception of Rome, which is very important and, and you know for reintegrating again and then eventually yeah. tells the story of ben-hur and he, a number of other films you know they, his whole filmography is exceptional i haven't yeah. seen all of them but it, it's, it's very it, obvious it is funny because i think again context is like like the theme of this episode mm-hmm. of, of perfect 10 but like i do think that a modern audience l- loses the perspective that guys italy was part of the axis yeah they were guys they were the bad guys during world war ii and this is less than 10 years after that Mm -hmm. so the the perception is still i mean like like at 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 this point in time the perception still would have been like yeah well you know do we trust italians Mm -hmm. right like 
yeah would would you go to italy would you go to rome for a vacation and then yeah here he is going like yeah like, well, look at this beautiful city look at this place even, look at these people yeah and right? even joe rome is supposed to be a crap beat that he's on yeah like yeah. that's not the, that's not the glamorous job that we would consider it today no. <laughs> like you know yeah so that's the thing yeah, yeah. wow i Okay, I'm gonna ask one more time. Was there anything else that we needed to cover? I think we did it. Like, I, I think, think that this was great. a fantastic. I'm very, episode. I'm very happy with. This. I'm so delighted that you, you know, were willing to watch this movie and talk about it with me. And I, it's, I always am so delighted anytime someone is willing to let me yeah. like yammer on about fairy tales because it is my favorite thing. Um, but it, it's such, it's such a great movie. I highly recommend it to anyone you know who has not seen it. Also, do watch Five Came Back on on Netflix. Um, there's also a book if for some reason you don't have Netflix and you would like to read the book. Um, it, it's supposed to be very good from what I hear. That's awesome. I mean, like, that's great. I love it when there's always something to like follow up because if somebody mm-hmm. did watch the movie first and, or has seen it already, but wants to go deeper, mm-hmm. having something like that is a great, is a great thing. And also, I mean, like th- this is, this is why I do this podcast. Um, like the the whole point of perfect 10 the whole thesis of it is i like a perfect 10 is not an objective thing no right i think like there is there is truth in everything that we've said on this episode but it is very much a conversation with you uh about something that you love and and so i i as as Marie Claire would say, like uh, like the 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 purpose is to seek joy, mm-hmm. right? And that's what this podcast is all about. So having you on to talk about something that is so uh, important to you and I, I I that just happens to be a great film, um, it's sort of I get it's like that thing with the hero's journey. It's a byproduct, right? Like the the good movie is just I I the way that we get to. Uh, the joy and talking about it for an hour and a half. <laughs> and so I, I hope that um, it's like similar to you that this has made people want to go watch it. Like this was not really on my radar. I, except for maybe, I think maybe I've seen you refer to it a few times on Twitter. And that's sort of like when you said it, I was like, okay, all right. This is something <laughs> that I need to watch. But, um, but yeah, if we can, if, if, if we can convince even just like one person to go watch this movie uh, and, and find just a, a, a percentage, a shred of the joy mm-hmm. that, uh, that you find in it. I mean, like, that's what I was able to do. I, this is, I love this movie. <laughs> like it, it's so funny. Cause you just, you ask somebody to talk about their perfect 10 and I, I so far, there has not been a situation where I've been like, Oh, what a slug. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yep. Because you're asking people to like just go into their happy place and uh, and invite you along with them, right? So, mm-hmm. so, uh, so you say thank you for the opportunity to come on and talk about this, but really, like, thank you for exposing me and the listeners to uh to a movie that I think we probably otherwise would have glossed over or not even like known existed. Yeah. Right. Like just just like it just would have sort of fallen away into. I, uh, I, you know, the, 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 the endless pit of time. Mm-hmm. I, I, cause every year that goes by, it gets further and further in the past, Absolutely. but, but to have a reason to watch it, 
and then a great conversation like this to contextualize it and talk about you know why it's important um it almost feels like analyzing shakespeare in a way i, I, I like to think of it that is, way <laughs> which is one of my favorite pastimes right mm-hmm. i so yeah it was just, this was this episode was a delight this was so much fun i hope everybody else uh, enjoyed listening um i'm really really interested so i don't talk about it a lot on the podcast um, except for sometimes in the preamble, but I, I, Tim Dipple will now have the task of going and creating a 10 question trivia quiz Ooh. for our Patreon supporters. Nice. I, about this movie, which I will be surprised if he's seen. <laughs> uh, and so I expect that he'll do his homework. He's got a couple of weeks to do it. So he, I, I, I expect that he'll do his homework and watch it and, uh, and, and, and do a little bit of research himself. And uh, uh, yeah, cause I, he doesn't hear the episodes before he records, like before he writes his trivia oh, questions and it is always so wonderful to find out when I get the file from him and I listen to it. I uh, and I hear all of the questions and it's like we talked about that we talked about that we talked about that we talked about that like and it's like so the answers to the trivia questions are almost always in the episode That's so cool. and it's and it's always purely serendipitous and I never want that to change I'm never going <laughs> to give him the episode before he writes his trivia questions because as long as we keep that streak then I know we're making magic like nice. that's um, so that's my that's that's my little pitch for everybody to go uh, over to patreon.com slash thunderquack and uh, it's the ten dollar level that gets that gets that here's the thing I kind of want to move them down to the five dollar level because mm-hmm. not enough people are getting to hear them at the ten dollar level because mm-hmm. we ha- obviously the higher the tiers go the less people support at that right. level and he does such a good job that I feel like it should be exposed to the rest of the world but I, but yeah, I go over to Patreon, support us over there. Do it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and get that, uh, which will be out. Uh, it'll be, it'll be out the same day that the episode releases, uh, to the general audience. But if you're a Patreon supporter, you'll, you'll be listening to this episode of perfect 10 on the, on the Tuesday before it releases on Friday, but on the, on the Friday, they both go live, uh, one on podcast feeds and the other one on Patreon. So, I yeah um before we close it out I kind of did a little bit of my rigmarole I should have given you this opportunity first where can people find you on the internet if they want to if they want to get more of this fairy tale goodness <laughs> so right now you can find me mostly on tumblr at all girls are princesses the truth is I do still bump around on twitter but I'm, I'm trying to pull back again because I just don't like what uh, the muskrat is doing so um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, well, I'm mostly just yeah. going to promote tumblr for now and I, I am pretty active there so awesome mm-hmm. uh, I'll also just remind everybody that they can go listen to a whole whole slew of episodes of what the force mm-hmm. that feature missy uh and uh if anybody ever asks me this is what i say it's like if somebody's like where do i get started with that it's like any episode with ty or missy as the the guest you're good any of the myth and symbolism stuff any of the the hero's journey stuff with you guys is just like that's the reason why i listen to the podcast and then obviously marie claire is a genius as well the the three of you are like my i i you're you're like my spirit guides <laughs> through the world of um like femme gaze like mm. it, it's i've 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 learned so much 
and become a better person. I hope. Uh, I don't know. Ask my wife, but <laughs> I, a, a better person. I hope by virtue of the lessons that I learned listening to you guys talk. So this is my opportunity. Like I had one on the recent episode of What the Force, where I got to gush about Marie Claire and how amazing she is. To tell you on a podcast in front of the whole podcast listening audience that you are also amazing and uh i look forward to any content that you put out well thank you um, so much it's really yeah. nice it's um, so oh. sometimes we just seem to be squealing into the void so it's nice thank you yeah yeah no i i it, this guy at least i uh, is is very appreciative for the squealing um and uh, and and will encourage you to never stop <laughs> never stop i, I awesome well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, thank you, Missy, for joining me. Thank you. And uh, I will be back uh, in four weeks with another episode. I actually think, I actually think it might be Marie Claire and I talking about Stardust because she really wants to do that episode. <gasps> do it. So, so I think that I think that might be the next one. If not, the backup will be Kyle and I talking about Rings of Power, um, and kind of just i mean like that'll end up being a conversation about lord of the rings in general but we're going to kind of focus it around rings of power um i and uh yeah so look forward to those uh coming soon and obviously go to thunderquack and check out all the other podcasts um rebel cells is going right now for bad batch i and um force perspective should have another episode out soon about willow um before we get into mando which is at this point like oh my goodness are we like two weeks out it's close from mando i mm-hmm. think it's like two weeks from wednesday right uh two or three uh so yeah the our mando recaps will be coming back with joe and i on that so go check out those podcast feeds as well and get subscribed again thank you missy for joining me uh and thank you everybody for listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode thunderquack perfect 10 is hosted by me michael cohen Follow us on Twitter at ThunderQuackPod, on Instagram at ThunderQuackPodcast, on Facebook at ThunderQuack, and join us on Discord at ThunderQuack.com Discord. Support the podcast by heading to Patreon.com ThunderQuack to get early access, bonus episodes, and the ThunderQuack Perfect 10 pop quiz. ThunderQuack Perfect 10 is part of the ThunderQuack Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. Thank you.